From the Utah School Counselors Association, this is The Sounding Board, where school counselors share ideas. I'm Nate Webb. And I'm Hilary Emmer. We can't wait for you to hear these ideas. Let's get to it. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Sounding Board. Um, today, we're interviewing one of our awesome sponsors, um, the Safe Company. Nope, the Safeguard Company. There we go. Safeguarding Company. Yes. Ah, I get so close and then so far. Um, the Safeguarding Company, I have with me here Curtis Linton, right? Yes. I got yes. that one right. I have with me Curtis Linton here um, from the Safeguarding Company, and we're here to talk about all the good stuff. So thank you so much for Curtis coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to speak to all the now. This is Utah counselors, right? So across across the state. Yes, but it is a podcast that's available nationally. So who knows who's listening? That'd be cool yes. if the counselors out of the state were listening. But yeah, awesome. this is for the Utah School Counselors Association. Beautiful. So um, tell us a little bit about the safeguarding company. I venture there are a few counselors out here who don't know who you guys are. So educate yes. us. What is yes. the safeguarding company? Well, let me actually start with a story, if that's all right, because my Ooh, um, I like stories. <laughs> yes, of course. Stories are the best way to learn, right? Absolutely. We often forget that in the classroom, but stories know, are always right? the best way to learn. Yes. So, so um, you know, my uh, for the past twenty years, I've been working in educational equity, and really, um, you know, the folks my work has been documenting uh, highly equitable practices in schools. So, going and filming, writing about these programs. I have a series of books called Equity 101 and, and whatnot. And, and it's it's all around this question, what does equity actually look like when applied in schools? Huh. And so this led me actually to partnering with the safeguarding company. And so safeguarding is a, a practice that's been developed actually in the United Kingdom. So um, over the past, uh, you know, however many years, um, you know, about 4,500 schools have, have embraced this practice of safeguarding. And um, I was pulled in just to do a little bit of research with safeguarding company, looking at, you know, could it actually be, um, could this practice be applied here in the U.S.? And uh, first, it was just analytical, you know, gosh, you know, great little tool. This is, you know, excellent, particularly for counselors and whatnot. But the deeper I got into it, and the more I learned about what safeguarding was actually doing for schools um, in the UK, uh, the more intrigued I became, and, and it moved beyond uh, just uh, doing a little bit of you know um, analytic work for them, and actually fell in love with the practice and realized this is something U.S. schools are missing. And so, really, it's you know my my work now is. Um, in essence, focused on safeguarding for equity. Why would I say safeguarding for equity? Well, now let me jump to the origin story of how safeguarding even began. And so this was um, about the mid, you know, aughts, the mid 2000s. And uh, there was a, a young student in a primary or an elementary school in the UK and really a, a, a troubled kid, always getting in trouble, um, mm. you know, known. Uh, by more than one educator, he would always steal food off of other kids' trays in the lunchroom. I wonder why. Hmm. Yes, yes. And see, just, you know, the I wonder why, that question was never entirely asked. He was a kid who would fight. He'd get in trouble. He'd speak back, all the rest. And so this goes on. He has this reputation within the school. 
And um, tragically, uh, he was actually murdered by his parents. And so the school finds out the staff is devastated. They start talking and they start looking around. One of the things they discovered was that his little brother, who was a few grades behind him, also was stealing food off of kids um, trays in the lunchroom. Yeah, but the but his little brother um, didn't act out in quite the same way. He didn't have the same reputation, and so it turned out both of these kids were being highly abused at home. They were showing the signs. Many many educators within the school were seeing the signs, but there was no coordinated effort to respond to it. And so in the end, you know, you have this very tragic situation. Now that's really what led you know what inspired the beginning of safeguarding. Safeguarding is a practice. And so what safeguarding is to practice is um, fundamentally, it's just the practice of uh, tracking, recording, um, supporting, collaborating, managing the non-academic needs of students. Mm. And so if you think about, you know, where education has developed over the past, you know, 20 years or so, we now use data all the time within schools. Yeah. but most of the data we used is tied to a student's academic performance, right. not their non-academic needs. Mm. You know, so RTI, you know, three-tier response in terms of instruction, you know, uh, knowing you could go into a school and ask the school where each student's reading level is and get a far quicker answer than if you said, what are the well-being needs of the students who attend your school? Because uh, that's so complicated. Like, oh, yes. like that's. And I, I, I think a lot of teachers and a lot of educators kind of scared to open that can of beans. Well, devoid of structure and support and organization, devoid of a man's response, of course, they're scared to open that. Yeah. But if you think about how to engage a student, do you, a student who is disengaged, do you focus on their reading level or do you focus on the issues which are leading them to disengage, which could right. be the reading level? Could be, but Maslow's before Bloom's, right? Right, exactly. And so what safeguarding as a practice is, is it's really, it's implementing just a, you know, a a rigorous database process to track and record these non-academic needs so that students can engage in the learning. It's really that simple. And so my jump from the work of equity into safeguarding was the, you know, all these years that I've shown up and worked with different groups of educators and we define equity as supporting the needs of each and every child, right. you know, this, the school adjusting to the needs of the student rather than expecting the student to adjust to the needs of the school. And so, you know, I think I have this knowledge around it. I'm feeling, you know, good about my career and, you know, the, this area of equity that I've, that I've worked in. And I'm talking to these educators in the UK and realizing they've taken on an aspect of equity that I never fully considered. They're actually tracking and managing the needs of each and every student. And one of the things we realized was that safeguarding is not a common term in the U.S. So I was coming in with limited knowledge on the vocabulary. Educational equity is not a term used in the U.K. So when I would talk about equity, they would not tie it to their work. So it wasn't until we really started articulating the practice of safeguarding where I made that bridge. And I said, oh, my gosh, these schools in the U.K. are managing equity in a way that most U.S. schools do not. Or if they do, they're doing it in a very manual, inefficient way. So that was my entry into safeguarding and it's, it's fascinating work. And, um, you know, when a school can formalize, you know, it's support structure that it's putting in place for students, as you said, when they're willing to open that can of worms, right. 
and actually keep the worms organized, well, then they can really have impact. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that leads us to, I guess, the safeguarding company itself. How do you guys track and utilize and implement safeguards using that data to meet yeah. the, the, you know, the social emotional needs of the students? Right. Well, and so, so isn't it fascinating that you bring up social emotional needs, right? And it's post pandemic, unlike ever before, <laughs> um, you know, schools across the country are saying what are the most critical things schools are facing now? Mental health, trauma, social, emotional needs of students. You know, the typical response that a school has when identifying these needs is they buy a curriculum in order to train everybody on, you know, how to approach SEL needs, which, which is necessary, right? We do need to increase our learning around this. But let me actually, you know, as a counselor yourself, let mm-hmm. me pose this question to you. So when you hear about a need that a student has, you're, you know, you're at the high school level, right? Yes. So, you know, let's say uh, we could take an issue, racism or bullying, sexual harassment, peer-on-peer abuse, self-harm, trauma, mental health. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. In today's schools. Yeah. yeah let's um, go with, uh, let's go, let's, let's get spicy. Let's go with racism. Okay. So racism in particular. So there's a racist incident. How would you track that at your school? Um, educator's handbook. Um, we okay. keep, like if there's a, if there's an instance where kids have to get sent, if they're, if they're, if it includes disciplinary action or someone acts out in class, then they log it in the educator's handbook. Okay. So, so great, great comparison with the educator's handbook, right? So basically you have to, you know, you go to your computer, you log in and you create an incident report around it. So the way safeguarding would approach something such as, as racism um, it's a little more informal in the beginning when the data is collected and quite a bit more formal once the data is collected. And the reason why I make that distinction is that safeguarding fundamentally begins with if a staff member sees something, they can quickly report it. And the goal is actually to collect as much data as possible. So not to wait until there is formal discipline and whatnot that is needed. And so any staff member, this can include a janitor, you know, someone who works in the lunchroom, assistant principal, teacher, paraprofessional, whoever it may be, if they see something, so they observe two students, you know, let's say racism, so a white and black student, they see a language exchange between them, and they're not quite sure, was that actually an incident of racism or was it not? You know, and, and, this, and this is where it's fuzzy, right? If I see something overt, then yes, I must report it. What if I see something where I think something happened, but I'm not quite sure. Well, at that point, you know, let's say a pair, you know, a paraprofessional in the classroom sees this interaction between a white boy and a, and a black boy, something is said, well, they can quickly go on even just their phone, simple little app within 30 seconds. It's really all it takes. They submit what's called a concern. You know, Johnny and Mark were talking. I believe I heard racist language, you know, shared between them, right. hit submit, that's all. Now, you're not going to ask the paraprofessional to be the one to fully respond to this incident. Right. You know, and so once a concern is submitted, then it goes to someone designated in the school as a safeguarding lead. So this could be a counselor such as yourself. Okay. So the students you oversee, you have your dashboard. And again, it is it is simple as, you know, the person submitting it simple as pulling up their phone, quick little app, bam, 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 submit. 
on your dashboard, it comes up and it says concerns submitted. You know, Johnny said something to Mark. First off, you got to identify, you know, do you know what the race is? You know, it's, it's something, maybe racism in there or not. Right. So, so you pull up the concern and now you can start managing it. One of the key aspects of this is that you, with your training, categorize it as racism, you know, or categorizes, you know, mental health or self-harm, you know, whatever the, the unique instance may have been. So you formally categorize it rather than expecting, you know, just the, the staff member to do that. Once that's up now, do you have evidence that you need to collect? So there's a way of collecting evidence around it. So it's going into the record around this particular incident. Uh, you know, do you need to talk to the two students? Do you need an additional statement from the para, whatever it may be? And so you collect that evidence to be able to build a case around this particular concern. You also can go in, you can identify the two students. So you can tie them together within this concern. Why is that important? Because one way of managing concerns is, is basically incident by incident, case by case. The other way is really to look at a student holistically. Mm -hmm. So you could go in and you could pull up the student profile of the student who's either the victim or the student who's the perpetrator. And you can look and see, oh, there's a history here. So, you know, Johnny has said a number of things to students of color over time. Well, now we, now we have an extent case. Remember the para wasn't quite sure. Should I report this? Should I not? Right. But looking at the totality of, you know, of instances, well, now we have something we really need to address. So through the, through the safeguarding software, you can rally support around this. So I could assign out team members or, you know, actually, sorry, Nathan, you're the one, you're the safeguarding lead. So you're the one managing this. Okay. So, so you could choose to bring in, uh, you know, a therapist to this. Yes. You could choose to reach out, have a conversation with the parents. Maybe, you know, the parents need to be contacted, but maybe you assign the contacting the parents to an assistant principal. Mm -hmm. And so you can manage the team response right there within the safeguarding software, assign them tasks, they can give their feedback within it. A key aspect of this is this is maintaining full data privacy around the students. Mm -hmm. So we're not using email, we're not using these other forms of communication that might get lost where the, the data privacy might be impacted. And so it's in that that ability to really manage a, a collaborative response to a particular need. Now, if this was the only instance that ever occurred, it might just be good enough for a teacher just to talk to the student. Hey, Johnny, we don't use language like that in class. If this is persistent, well, now certain disciplinary actions, whatnot, might be kicked in. Mm. It doesn't stop there, though, because do those disciplinary actions actually work? You know, we know we've got a lot of things we do that may or may not have impact. And right. so this is where the flow up of data. So you categorize this particular incident as a racist incident. Mm -hmm. Well, you can pull back and look at the level of the school or even the level of the district to be able to identify the trends that are going on in terms of non-academic challenges and concerns across the district. So are you seeing a particular spike in racism? What about if we break that down, break it down into racial groups, economic groups, you know, age groups, et cetera. So you can, you can disaggregate the data and whatnot to be able to see trends. And as you're analyzing those trends, you can also start pinging and seeing where certain responses have better impact than others. So you can really engage in a system-wide lesson learned 
because a disciplinary action might not be the best response in this particular situation. Right. You know, and so how is it that as a system, you know, if we respond to certain instances this way versus, you know, in, in way Y versus way X, which one has more impact? Do you have the data to actually show that? And so ultimately with safeguarding, the goal here is that we're proactively getting ahead of the issues so we can get away. You know, the reality is most schools react to non-academic student needs when it hits a crisis level. Right, right. When it's so big, you have to respond. Right. Like if there's a suicide or there's cutting or something, they're mostly reactive, not really preventative. Yeah, exactly. So it's that proactive nature. I mean, and that's really where. You know, there was one um, school, a, a, a head teacher, you know, hence a, you know, equivalent to a principal um, school just outside of London. Fascinating to talk to him, uh, Luke Ramsden. And he talked about how they, they implemented the safeguarding practice about five years ago. And last fall they received, now we don't have a similar type of award here, received the Pastoral Care Award for all the United Kingdom. Which is in essence, yeah, yeah, nope, right? So, which in essence is school culture. It's a school culture and climate award. And so, um, you know, St. Benedict's School, they'd taken five years, they'd implemented this, created an incredible culture and climate, but here's the really wild part with it. If it all circles back to learning. So they've been working actually with Stanford University to look at the data that St. Benedict's, you know, um, at their student achievement data. And over the course of this five years, they're, they're publishing this later this spring, but they've been able to show about a 20% increase in academic achievement as a result of the safeguarding process. Wow. Which just goes back to the inherent theme that most of us know when you have a good school culture, you have students who engage and students who learn. And so ultimately, this is, this is taking you know, a simple practice, a data-based approach, to, to really building school culture and climate so that students can engage. Holy moly. Like <laughs> had explosion a little bit just because it's so hard to track like social emotional needs other than like looking, browsing incident reports on educators handbook. And even then some, they don't categorize it usually as like mental health needs or something it's usually categorized as swearing or whatever kind of outburst it was um so wow um holy crap so like and i'll i'll take a holy crap reaction you know i'm yes we like i'm 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 good with that yes yeah well and it's crazy because we try to be so data driven but a lot of the times we see you know these social emotional needs as very subjective because right. the emotional needs are so kind of like Doctor Who, timey wimey, curvy woovy stuff. Um, yes. But finding a way to effectively track, monitor, and then implicate the proper you know things to help mediate or arrest to or give the needs that they need makes is yeah. a game changer. So, what were some of the I don't know differences because you've been implementing this in the U.S. now, right? Well, we actually, um, we're, we're very new to implementing in the U.S. just as of this school year. Yeah. So this is very nascent for us over here. Dope. Yeah. So did you guys start in Utah? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what school districts are you in? Well, so we're actually, um, we're implementing some of these practices in Davis District right now with awesome. um, some of the overall response. Actually, interesting, you brought up the, you know, the, an issue of racism because that is uh, you know, addressing uh, persistent racism issues in Davis is why we're actually working here now. Yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, so, so the practice side of it, you know, we've been working on that summit here. Um, we were working on some projects in Salt Lake district. Um, and we're working, uh, with a fascinating school in Kansas city, um, mm. operation breakthrough. I mean, there's, there's a number of different school systems we're working with, you know, it's, I, I will be honest with you. Um, I've been working in, a education for, you know, most of my professional career. And it's always a really slow and tough process to get a new practice implemented and get people moving with it. And it's, and it's one reason why, you know, I'm, I'm right in Salt Lake city, I'm based in Salt Lake city. So, you know, this is where it's where my kids go to school and all the rest. Right. And, and we're excited to be at the Utah school counselors um, association conference later this week, uh, just because um, we have been working with people here in Utah. We know, the safe ut app with yeah you know some of the statewide efforts the state has been making um you know one of the fascinating things and based upon when you release this episode you know we may or may not officially be there i'm hoping we're officially there but um doing work to support um you know a fascinating mental health support program that's ran out of the university of utah um through their department of educational psychology you know and so they're providing therapy and whatnot to middle school students throughout the state and doing really good work with no way of really managing the process. And so we're helping them implement safeguarding as a way of managing this whole process. So, you know, step-by-step step, we're finding uh, willing schools and educators to take this on and implement it. And it's fascinating because there are thousands of educators engaged in this, just not the U S. And so we are actively finding, you know, our, our quote unquote early adopters for a mature process here in the U S. I love that. Sense. That makes sense. Yes. I love that. So yeah. if people are, if you are interested in safeguarding in the safeguarding company um, and meeting better, meeting the needs, the social emotional needs of your students, reach out to the safeguarding company and how can they do that? Shameless plug time. How can people reach uh, out to you? We'll take the shameless plug almost as much as I'll take the Holy moly. So um, so they, they, they can reach out to us. Just email is the easiest. Um, it's us. So us at the safeguarding company.com, uh, or just go on to the website, safeguarding company.com and they can contact us directly from there, awesome. but the safeguarding company, the so. safeguarding company, not safeguarding yes. company, the safeguarding company. Yes. And all yes. of that will be in the show notes. So thank yep. you so much, Curtis, for talking to me today. This has been amazing. And thank you to you guys listening. Um, make sure to always keep an eye out for new content that will be dropping. Keep an eye out for this episode. It's going to be dropping here in a little bit. Uh, you guys are listening to it already. So have a great day. We'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Sounding Board. Email the sounding board at utschoolcounselor.org to send us your questions and ideas. If you like our podcast, please rate and review our show. It helps other school counselors find us. Links and additional information for any references from today's episode are in our show notes. Check out our website at utschoolcounselor.org where you can listen to past podcast episodes, register for any of our professional development opportunities, and become a member of the Utah School Counselor Association. USCA members also receive bi-monthly newsletters to stay up to date on current Utah School Counseling news, events, and issues. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at UT School Counselor and on Twitter at USCA Tweets. The mission of the Utah School Counselor Association is to support professional school counselors in their work for students through advocacy, professional development, recognition, and support. 
this podcast would not be possible without the support of our members. We'll have more ideas to share with you next week. Let's go. Let's go.